0: Uh, this morning as we approach a new year, um, we want to maintain a focus. Of the, our locus of focus must always be gospel, not. not religion. Not that that's a problem here, but uh, we are only human. Amen? Amen? So the text that we're going to look at is in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, verses 37 to 52. So if you would, I'm going to ask the congregation to stand for the reading of this text. Luke 11, beginning in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. As he he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard, to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Things aren't As they always appear. This account describes for us a very awkward luncheon. (laughs) And Jesus, to say the least, speaks very directly. In fact, um, had we been there, I'm sure we likely would have had our heads down playing with the food on our plates you know, um, whistling, uh, you know, or humming under our breath, you know, trying desperately uh, not to make eye contact with Jesus as he speaks uh, these very sharp words and boldly addresses these Pharisees and these lawyers. Pharisee means to separate. Um, They designated themselves as the separated ones. Um, They were fundamentalists. Extremely devoted to the laws and the traditions. There was about 6,000 of them in Jesus' day. And then you have lawyers. These are not vocational practicing attorneys, but they're otherwise known as the scribes. So these are the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, Scribes were experts in Jewish law, experts in the Torah, the Hebrew Bible, and in expounding its commandments. Now, here we read of three, wo- three woes in verses 42 to 44 directed at the Pharisees. And then three wo- woes directed specifically at these lawyers. But remember, they're all part of the same group. So the woes go out to all of them. And a woe is an expression of regret. And here it's not so much in anger as it is in anguish. Keep that in mind. Probably more anguish than anger here. And oftentimes a woe introduces an oracle of doom. You remember what Jesus said to the, those who lived in Capernaum? He said, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The more you know... The more this revealed to you, the more you're responsible for. It. That's the principle. Needless to say, this is a very woeful conversation. This is a woeful luncheon. And most certainly is the cause for a loss of appetite. So, regardless of how uncomfortable the conversation here may have been, it's very important for us to listen in on it. Amen? Amen? Because we're tempted by the same temptations which the Pharisees and the lawyers were tempted with. Amen? See, in our minds, the Pharisees, every time they enter the text, they're always wearing the black hats. They're always the bad guys, right? Right? So, pff, pff, Pharisee. Well, beware lest we fall into Phariseeism. Am I right? This is the whole counsel of God that we're teaching here. See, because there are times that we think we understand a situation, there's times that we think we see well, or by looking at the outside of something, we gauge the situation and think we gauge it correctly. But really, we have no idea sometimes how blind we actually are, or how limited our understanding actually is, as we assess any given situation. Now, as we look from the outside, sometimes we think we see things as they really are, but really we have no idea how blind we are at the moment. The visitor who visited here recently, and when he wrote here, was really blind to reality. For what he accused you of, he doesn't know your heart. He can't see beneath your ribcage. Amen? He can't see into the seat of your thinking. So the accusations were vain. The Pharisees and the lawyers, these scribes, thought they understood life. They thought they understood the religious situation and God's law pretty well. If you were to ask them, what does the Lord require of you? That's the title of the message. What does the Lord require? They would have been incredibly comfortable in providing an answer along with a list of what religious life and purity looks like. They were good at carrying lists. They thought they had spiritual life, religious rituals, and purity pretty well figured out. Now, let me say this. God does most certainly require purity and holiness according to his word, right? We know this. They understood that, but they extrapolated from God's law. That is, they extended the application of God's word. It's very dangerous concluding, this is how you are to live. This is how you're to look in the world. These are the practices you are to engage in to ensure the purity and holiness God requires. Lock jaw. Talk through your teeth. Holy. So here now, we want to look at some traits of extrapolation. Biblical extrapolation and exclusion. Excluding the scripture from one's life. Which in the end creates a man-made religion. You with me? So the points we're going to look at. There are six of them. That man-made religion is hypocritical. It's unbalanced. It's pretentious. It's impossible. It's fanatical. And it's robbery. So as we hold up this cancer and get a sense here for the big picture, the hope is that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts to guard us and to help us discern any traces of deception that might creep up in our own lives. Amen? And I want you to notice first, before we get to these points, what initiates Jesus' rebuke. Notice this. Jesus is actually judged in their minds by falling short of holiness. Okay? That's what initiates this whole thing. That's what gets the ball rolling. Verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So the host recognizes that Jesus reclines at the table. That's how they ate. They reclined at low tables. And they were all about what you can see and what you can measure by what you see. And they measured that, oh, he's not very pure because he didn't wash his hands first. Okay, now this washing, friends, is not about hygiene. This is not about germs. It has nothing to do with germs or dirt. So, kids, when your mom and dad tell you to wash your hands before dinner, don't call them a Pharisee. <laughs> wash your hands. This is about ceremony. So, they had developed this ceremonial process of this precise way to wash your hands before dinner to demonstrate their holiness, to demonstrate their purity and cleanliness, their separateness. And it had been around a long time. And they washed like this in case, God forbid, that they had come in contact with a Gentile or something that a Gentile had touched. Being religious Jews. And they would be deemed unclean. So, this was to symbolize their holiness and their desire to be separate from worldly defilement. And it was quite a process. You take this certain amount of water, I think... In the oral law, it was written, um, two eggshells full or something like that. You would pour it across the fingers, your fingertips, and it would run down the wrists. And then the hands would be washed, symbolizing this cleansing. And then you would eat. It was a ridiculous symbol that they had developed in order to publicly parade their purity, their religiosity. In Matthew 15, as a matter of fact, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Yeah. Bring it. This this ritual wasn't commanded by God. Not even the ceremonial code of the Old Testament prescribed this. This was an extrapolation. This was an an application, an extended ceremonial ritual. Be careful of mere rituals when they're merely ritualistic. This is an addition to God's word. Anytime you add to God's word, you inevitably take away from God's word. So extrapolation will lead to exclusion, excluding the text, the true text from application of life. That's exactly what happened to the Pharisees. Jesus makes that very clear. So he speaks in very direct terms. He's very sharp. So here now, this respected leader in town has invited other respected men from that town along with Jesus and most likely his disciples to come and dine with him, to have this lunch with him. And it appears that Jesus is hardly reclined back at the table when this dispute arises. Remember this. False religion loves symbols. They love ritual, de lo habitual, usual rituals, man made or not. And then the Lord Jesus lets it fly. Point one man made religion is hypocritical because it creates its own standard of holiness. The main thing Jesus says to the Pharisees and the scribes is that they were hypocrites. They were consumed with external righteousness. Their hearts cared nothing about true righteousness. Look at what Jesus says at the outset. Verse 39. And the Lord said to him. He didn't even comment on Jesus not washing his hands. He's just thinking it. (laughs) Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. You see, the Pharisee is scaling down God's demands by setting up his own standard of holiness. Making it an external demonstration instead of Internal devotion. External demonstration rather than internal devotion. Because hypocrisy focuses on external impressions. Hypocrisy focuses on external impressions instead of internal expression. Now we might do as the Pharisees did. Anytime we judge a Christian, another Christian, for not doing something that the Bible doesn't command them to do, but we think he or she ought to do. Witness? Can I get a witness? (laughs) That simply means, can I get an agreement on this? Because that's how true it is. Or, we might judge another Christian because they do something the Bible does not forbid them from doing, but we think they ought to be forbidden from doing it. Well, just because we're Christians. Well, you shouldn't do that because why? Well, because we're Christians. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, it doesn't, but... If so, we've set up our own standards by which we judge other Christians. Now, if you'll take note of what Jesus says in verse 41 here, you'll understand almost everything else he says in this passage. He says this, give his alms to those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. In other words, if you worship God from your heart, from the inside out, here, offering God a clean heart, as we'll find out, can it only be done by grace and faith through Jesus Christ who provides this, then everything else is clean. But if you simply try to look good on the outside, as they did, trying to cover up your sin on the inside, you're only fooling yourself. Right? That's what religion does. It fools you. Self-deception. Now, the Pharisees most certainly cared more about appearance of holiness than the reality thereof. So in order to feel holy, if you want to feel holy, you promote a ritual that makes you look holy, right? If we do enough of this stuff, it will make us look holy, and if we look holy, we can walk away feeling holy. The Pharisees were concerned with what one does. Jesus is concerned with what one is. No amount of water pouring can make up for a corrupt heart. Amen? No amount of ritual or liturgy can make up for this kind of religious, self-righteous, inward corruption. None of it. Nothing. Now, very important point. It's not that external actions don't matter. Amen? Because they do. Now, do we know this? We don't have, have to go back to kindergarten, Christianity 101, amen? We do not have to. It does matter. But religious hypocrisy focuses on the external to the exclusion of the internal. That's the point. They don't see a necessary connection between the two. So the Pharisees here, they added to God's word in their self-effort to appear spiritually pure, and it wasn't just this one ritualistic rule of washing before dinner, Uh, they had a host of other rituals, stacked, one atop of the other, I mean these guys were the IRS of the religious establishment, (laughs) this is what they were, they wrote numerous rules on how to live and then they wrote books about the rules, that's what they do, that's what the IRS does, that's what they did but their hearts were full of greed and wickedness, verse 39. Now, one gets the sense, do we not, uh, throughout the Gospels that they felt pretty good about themselves. That's pretty clear. Had they been asked, hey, how's your walk? Sometimes people ask, hey, how's your walk? You ever get that question? How's your walk? Someone asked me that the other day. How's your walk? Your holiness, your purity. They would have answered, hey, we're doing everything we're required to do. We're doing pretty well. But that should have been a warning sign for them, amen? And it ought to serve as a warning sign for us as well. Anytime you get feeling good about yourself, I'm doing pretty good, you know, I'm obeying, I'm walking this Christian walk in a way that is exemplar for other people to follow. <laughs> take note, take warning. They ought to have seen the warning signs. They did not. So Jesus comes in here to this house and he explodes the illusion of their self-perceived holiness and purity. He blows the house up. Man, he ruined some parties, didn't he? He was a party ruiner, or a dinner ruiner. Imagine Thanksgiving with Jesus with all your unbelieving friends and all the religious views that they have. They come in, right? They have some weird abstract view about life. And Jesus, what, how can you argue with him? So all this, this ritualistic washing, tithing the smallest things, dissecting the minutia of God's law, following externally and dutifully, majoring in the minors, neglecting the majors, which is the heart. So, this hypocrisy leads us now to point number two man made religion is unbalanced. Remember, I said I, I, I love you especially because you're also well rounded reformed believers. You're not hyper, you're not antinomian, just well rounded in a very slender sense. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 42. Woe, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here they are. They were tithing out of their mint, out of, out of their little herb garden. Just tithing everything, nitpicky. Jesus said you're fixated here on little things and you're neglecting the re- massive realities of the faith. So their focus and fixation was on something they were able to do here again externally. Nitpick out of the garden in the backyard. All the while neglecting those things that were far more important. But again, to concentrate on a little thing or some kind of a ritual, you can walk away once again feeling holy, right? Because you've done this thing, which is nothing more than a cover-up for darkness within William Hendrickson wrote this, quote, rigid insistence on trivial matters is very often a cover for inner sin, end quote. You ever meet people who are dogmatic about relatively little, you know, insignificant things dissecting the minutia? You know, they're always wanting a meeting with church leadership. To nitpick this thing or that thing. Trust me, we've had a few of those over eight years. That's always a blast. And it's really fun when they leave. Unless they repent. If they re- we always want them to repent. Amen? If not, please. So you have nitpickers like that. You also have people who care more about liturgy and ritual. You know, perhaps certain views of the Lord's table. Maybe it's a hyper-reformed denominational view. Over and above the brotherhood of the Christian faith. This is very important. Being reformed, you know. Praise God we are, amen. Never be prideful about that. J.C. Ryle writes this. It's a bad symptom of any man's state of soul. When he begins to put the second things of religion in the first place. And the first in the second. Or the things ordained by man above the things ordained by God. There's something sadly wrong. Which is more important to us. Whether others of our, of our, are of our denomination and ceremonies. Rather than whether they repent of sin. Believe on Christ and live holy lives. End quote. I know some very godly, loving Christians who, they don't even know what Reformed theology is. My goal is to get them to know it, but they love the Lord and they walk in obedience and they're humble and they're faithful. I came up Reformed, and I've told you this before, I am ever grateful for that. But I've witnessed over the years, on one side you have, of Reformed circles, you have the frozen chosen. The rigid Reformed, you know, clasped hands and puckered lips. Stiff, boring. But on the other side, you have the the uh, liturgically licentious. Everything's about Sunday. You come and get washed and cleansed on Sunday, and you go live like the world the rest of the week. That's why I said you're so well balanced by the grace of God, and I'm so appreciative of that. Amen. Okay, back to the minutiae of the Pharisees. There was nothing wrong with them actually going beyond what was to be tithed. That's a good principle for us. There's nothing wrong with going beyond what was required to be tithed. Not at all. But concentrating here on the trivial, they overlook what was most important. In their zeal for the trivial, they neglected here justice and the love of God. Doing a bunch of stuff doesn't prove we love God. See, it's our attitude, our inner attitude to God that controls all these other actions. We don't do all these actions in order to gain the favor of God. If we're in Christ, you have all the favor you're ever going to get. Therefore, from that position, we live our lives for the glory of God. So, man-made religion is hypocritical. It's unbalanced. Next point, it's also pretentious. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Who's better at rebuke than Jesus? Basically he says, what you want us to be seen and to be viewed is better than everybody else. Okay, Now the best seats here, Best seats in the synagogue were the seats in the front of the synagogue that faced the congregation. You get that? That faced the congregation. For to sit there was to be seen as a man of distinction. Oh, look who's up front, facing us. Facing, not you guys in the front row. I wish more people would sit in the front row. Then we can move the pulpit back a little bit. Amen? Amen? And then these greetings in the marketplace were, were these elaborate salutations there in the market square as, as men who were recipients of, this, of these salutations, of, of men who should be respected, highly regarded, and they loved it. They lived for it. They loved reputation more than true holiness. To be greeted with a special title, Rabbi. Reverend, teacher, father, right? Jesus said, what? Don't call anyone on earth your father, yet the whole Catholic priesthood is father, right? People, people have asked me, what should we call you? John has worked for 50 years so far. <laughs> or you could call me your favorite leader. That is, visitors, my last name is Leader with two E's. Not L-E-A-D-E-R, but L-E-E-D-E-R. I'm your favorite leader, amen? Other than my wife. (laughs) If Paul went by Paul, and Jesus the Son of God went by Jesus, why should any preacher ask to be called Holy One, or Revered One, or Bishop, or this, this Word of Faith false teaching movement, who refer to themselves as prophets and apostles? They don't realize there aren't any more. They're all in heaven. The apostles are in heaven. Remember in John 5 what Jesus said to the religious Jews? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you, in other words, be a believer when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from or belongs solely to the one and only true God? Why? Because they were dead inside. Dead. They were walking dead men. There's a lot of religious people who are the walking, breathing dead. Verse 44, it's interesting. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. They were grave tombs on wheels, these guys. You see, Jesus says that because the Pharisees were obsessive about not touching dead bodies or coming into contact with anyone who had touched a dead body because, because again, they would become ritualistically unclean. No paramedics were Pharisees in this day. No, Pharisees were paramedics, rather. So the Pharisees would go around marking graves so you wouldn't accidentally walk across them and become defiled. Jesus is saying, look, you guys are the unmarked graves. You appear holy on the outside when in fact you're dead inside so everyone who comes in contact with you is defiled. They're contaminated by you. Stinging rebuke. Ouch is right. So he's saying that they corrupt others because of their own hypocrisy. They were actors. That's all they were. So false religion is not only hypocritical, unbalanced, or pretentious. This is pharisaical living. It's also impossible. Man-made religion is impossible. Verse 46, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Isn't that interesting? So one of the lawyers steps up, hey, I feel insulted as well. And he said, well, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So here now, three woes to the lawyers. These are the scribes who are also at this luncheon. The scribes were the theologians, they were the exegetes, they were the expositors, they were the interpreters, these were the academics. And they came up with the system that the Pharisees practiced. So they practiced these outrageous religious rituals, put all these heavy demands on the people, and as lawyers, you know the loopholes, right? So if you make all these grand laws, you know the loopholes, so... You adhere to the loopholes so that you don't have to lift one finger to obey. So getting through the loopholes, as they did, they would put the burden on the people, and when they couldn't carry it out, which we can't, nor could they, you feel less than those who appear as though they can. So their approach to holiness, so to speak, was to develop more stringent rules so, again, that they could feel more holy than those who couldn't keep up. Ugly, isn't it? So, as such, they pay lip service to the Scripture, but they close their eyes, or we should say they close their hearts to the Scripture. Next point. Man-made religions fanatical. Fanatical. Verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, so they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, and that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. This is heavy. See, they held... The scribes and Pharisees held that they were honoring the heroes of the faith by building them these splendid tombs, right? Claiming to stand in the tradition of the prophets, Jesus said the only tradition you stand in are the tradition of those who killed the prophets that I sent. You get this? This is heavy, man. Yeah, you're traditional, all right, and you're guilty, you're guilty of the very things that the prophets preached against. You're like the fathers, your fathers who, who put them to death. You know, it's always easier to honor dead preachers than living ones. Jesus said a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown. But you send a guy with a briefcase, and now he's the expert. So Jesus calls attention here to the very first martyr, Abel, son of Adam and Eve. And the last recorded martyr of the Old Testament, Zechariah, all of whom and everyone in between who point forward to one. The culmination of all the prophets, the Lord Jesus Christ, who calls men to repent and they put him to death. And you were there as well. So was I. You see, religious hypocrisy always gives the illusion that all is well. There's no need of repentance. Can't we all just what? Rodney King theology. Get along. Can't we all just get along? It doesn't matter what you believe. If you believe this and you're sincere and I believe this and I'm sincere and we can agree to agree to disagree or, you know, whatever, whatever, then we're all going to make it there in the end. Wrong. You can't climb your way in. You can't earn your way in to the presence of God. Because all people who think that so long as you're sincere in your religion, you'll get there. You know what? All sincerity proves is that you're sincerely wrong. Amen? And also that you're on the broad road that leads to destruction. That's what Jesus said. The broad road is all religious systems. They lead to one place. Hell. So man-made religion is hypocritical, it's unbalanced, it's pretentious, it's impossible, it's fanatical. Last point, man-made religion is robbery. Verse 52, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So the final woe here reveals yet another, par- uh, another paradox. The scribes, who, the scribes who professed and expounded the meaning of the law, who were supposed to be teachers of the people, in fact, took away the key of knowledge. Just toss it in the desert. Hindering others from entering. Why? Because they themselves have not entered in. That's why. They couldn't lead anyone into the kingdom because they weren't part of the kingdom. They couldn't tell someone how to get into the kingdom because they didn't know how. Amen? They were on the wrong road. They were on the broad way. They couldn't show anyone the path of life because they were dead. They couldn't show anyone how to see because they were blind. This is the blind leading the blind. That's what religion is. The blind leading the blind. Set somebody free? They're prisoners, man. So Jesus says these these interpreters, quote-unquote, of God's word have actually made it harder for people to believe. They've made it harder for people to understand. Remember what Jesus said to this same group in Matthew 23? Another woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you, as yourselves. So religious hypocrisy is not merely steering off course, amen? It's a direct road to hell. You see, friends, anytime one depends upon their own religious observance before the Lord that they make up in their mind, extrapolate from the word of God, or exclude from the word of God, you are on the road to destruction. God wants not only the external, he wants the internal. This is what he's after, amen? So we must realize any effort to justify ourselves before God apart from his gospel, apart from God's saving work through Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, to renew our heart, to make us new creatures in Christ from the inside out, any effort to justify ourselves other than that, you will always be seeking an external external solution to the problem. And the problem is sin within. Which is religious hypocrisy. A man-made religion. And is not what God requires. Meaning, at some level... At some level, religious hypocrisy characterizes... Every other religious system in the world that denies the gospel. Whether it be Islam... Hinduism, secular humanism, Catholicism, liberal Protestantism, and every other ism that there is, they fall into this category. Man-made religion. Because no religion has the ability to change a man or woman from the inside out. Because where does man seek truth? Where do they do? On the inside. They search within. For this goodness. Religion friends. Is an attempt. To create. Light within. And I want you to notice. As we wrap this up. I want you to notice. The text. That precedes this lunch date. With Jesus. Alright. Which sparks the inquiry. Of this Pharisee. I think. To invite Jesus. Over for dinner. It's found here in Luke 11. If you go back to verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of it dark it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light verse 37 while jesus was speaking a pharisee asked him to dine with him healthy eyes your eyes and your head healthy eyes admit light into the registry of the mind okay the body diseased eyes or blind eyes do not they cannot So the implication here, spoken by Jesus, is that the individual is responsible for for receiving light that comes from the outside. So the eye is the lamp, not in the sense that it emits light, but is only received through that lens, amen? Into the registry of the mind. The body receives the light. The true source of light. The origin of truth comes from outside the body. The truth of God comes down to us. in The gospel of Jesus Christ. If any man thinks that he can generate light from within himself. The warning here is clear. Notice. Beware lest that inner self-perceived light proves to be dark. so people who sit around legs folded arms folded humming searching for something within if they perceive that they've discovered light there the warning is beware lest that light be darkness one may convince himself that this is the way of truth and that self-perceived light is darkness which results in ultimate Disaster. So, the body is only fully lighted, completely illumined when a lamp shines from the outside. Amen? By way of your union with God, if you're in faith here today, if you're saved by grace through faith, by way of your union with God through Christ, you're justified by what Christ has earned for you. Amen? And you are sanctified by living out what has been earned for you. They had it mixed up. This comes from outside. Both are gifts that are inherited by someone else. And in this case, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is passively received, whereas sanctification is actively pursued. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. And we walk by what? Faith according to the word of God. We look to Jesus by faith. We trust in Jesus Christ alone because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but has everlasting life. Those who don't believe are already what? Condemned. Condemned. Those who are born again are saved from the just judgment of God against sin. They turn away from their sin. They turn away from self. In other words, they repent and they turn to the Savior. He is our righteousness. And then God, by his spirit, works in their lives to deal with the sin that's still here. Forgiven? Yes. Forever forgiven. Do we still struggle with sin? And as we've said a hundred times from this place, the struggle for sin only begins the moment you become a believer. What struggle is there before? The struggle begins when you're born again. So because you struggle with sin, you should be encouraged here today. Because you struggle. They didn't think they struggled with it. So you create all this stuff. Can you say this morning, friends, I know my sins? I know my sins, and then deal with those sins, not by excusing them, not by diminishing them, not by denying them, not trying to cover them up with externals, not by doing liturgical ritualistic ceremonies, but dealing with those sins by the only way that is possible for them to be dealt with, and that is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Fleeing to the cross, admitting my sin and my ever-dependence upon the Savior. This is what we must do. This is where our eyes must be affixed, amen? Not on what we do in religious ceremony, but on him and all he's done. That's love. That's grace. That's mercy. So I can say, Lord, I am unclean. I'm sinful. I can't make myself right. Only you can make me right from the inside out. I continue to give myself to your son who's my only hope. My only hope. For you see, friends, to be part of the great wedding feast that we read about earlier, to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you must be properly clothed. And you can't provide the clothing for that wedding feast. You must be cloaked in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. Church, rejoice in that. You have nothing to earn. He's earned it all. If you're not in Christ, I command you, according to the word of God, to repent of your unbelief. To repent of your faulty belief to repent of your self-righteousness that says I'm good enough and turn to the only one that can save you because this is a warning. You reject this truth over and over again, you only become more calloused and that much more responsible in the judgment for what you know today. So I plead with you out of love, repent and believe in this Savior. Your only hope. That's how much we love you. To tell you the truth. Amen? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we're not required to earn meritorious favor, but to receive favor as provided through your son in our place. We thank you for this text. Pray that we'll walk out uh, meditating upon it throughout the day making us ever more thankful for what has been accomplished on our behalf and drive us, Lord, um, to walk in a life of obedience because of what's been accomplished. Pray that you'll bless your dear people today. May you uh, encourage and edify your church, your beloved bride, these members of Pacific Hope Church and our dear fellow brethren that are visiting with us today. And for anyone, again, Lord, who does not know you, who may be here this morning, we pray that you bring them to the end of themselves, break them, Cause them to believe. Enable them, Lord, to believe by faith. Gift them, we ask, if it be your will, to save them today. In Jesus' name, amen.